Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, everyone, to a a, a joint episode of uh, All Things Fine and Gentry. And the, and the Inside School Podcast. Um, this this came about, well, this is, I would call it decades in the making, um, because the two of us have uh, been connected for a while here, not just by Morehouse, but uh, both being from the same area and um, uh, got reconnected via social and... Uh, we were just kind of going back and forth on some hot topics of, of what's going on in the world today. And then with the death, the tragic death of uh, Chadwick Bozeman, uh, we started connecting and saying, man, like about legacy living. And I had kind of did a, a quick little do-rag download and uh, I shot it over him and said, hey, man, what you think? And like we really just started vibing. I was like, man, we, we probably should get together and just kind of record this because I think it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's an important conversation right now in regards to uh, living a purposeful life, and especially as a black man in America right now, and um, that that's kind of how this this got started. What you got any thoughts there? No, you're right. I mean, it's the timing of everything um, going on. It's um, you know, it's a lot of things happening kind of all at once. Um, and I'll say on my end, you you were talking about legacy living um this weekend and, and you said something, a couple of things that was really poignant and we decided like, you know what, we were talking to each other, you know, messages going back and forth. It was like, no, we need to have this uh we both had podcasts. We wanna have this conversation and it's something that we think we, we should be recorded and sent out to the world because I think it was just uh some amazing points that you touched on. And and you're right, this this is a weird really, really weird time and even today, um, another person that's another legend passed away and John Thompson, the, the former basketball coach at Georgetown University. So it makes things even, you know, that wasn't initially what we got on the podcast wanted to talk about, but that's another thing to add to that. You know, definitely. And you know, one of the things that I, I spoke about um, in, in my do-rag download was ultimately that, um, you know, oftentimes we uh, live our lives, um, you know, we kind of doing the comparison of uh, Chadwick Boseman being a, a, an action hero or really just playing many actors, many heroes uh, in our life, fictional and, and realistic. And one of the things I said was that oftentimes we as people, uh, you know, we have our own movie that we're creating. But instead of taking top billing, we turn around and end up being supporting casts and or let someone else uh, articulate it and or, or direct it and. Uh, and you have said, you know, indeed, we are sometimes uh, the supporting actor in our own lives. And, and that's that's crazy. Right. Um, that, you know, you, you had wrote a really, really touching uh, post. I mean, really for, for both of them, for, for Chadwick and uh, and John and, you know, laying out like, hey, you know, how these gentlemen have, you know, impacted your life, but also how it's impacted the lives of others and what that really means. And how in turn you as a person turn around and make a, a decision, right? This is an active decision right now to say, I'm going to do something with my life that's meaningful, um, regardless of if you are uh, an acclaimed coach or an actor or, you know, somebody that's on the nightly news, et cetera. Like each, each of us have our sphere of influence and our opportunity to uh, impact um, not only our lives, but that sphere that's around us. And unfortunately, we we sacrifice that for the easy, right? We sacrifice that for uh, just getting by, not pursuing our dreams, not doing anything um, memorable, and not that you have to, you know, 
have your name on Mount Rushmore, but uh, there are so many people that we run into and are impacted by on a daily basis and that, that impact us and we impact them. And either you can choose to make that a meaningful interaction or you can choose to make it, you know, a fleeting moment that somebody will forget. You know what I mean? No, hundred percent. I think, um, yeah, like you're saying that oftentimes, uh, you, you are not only the, the, so one, you're not only the lead actor in your life, but you are the casting director as well. Mm. So you, you're directing, you're the lead actor and you pick your supporting cast. That's good, man. And, you know, but but the rest of the people, you know, you can select your cast, you can select your crew. Um, you know, that's obviously a term euphemism for like your friends, but like your your, your crew and help make this movie that that's that is your life, you know, and um and oftentimes you gotta be active and in, in, in doing that. And I think that if you um if you really think about it that way, then the decisions you make in life, you're thinking about like the end of your movie mm. versus just um, it being like a TV show. Right. That, that's good. Where and, you're just, you know. Yeah. And you know, oftentimes we, we live life uh, like a soap opera, right? Episode to episode mm-hmm. <laughs> with each day being a cliffhanger of saying, oh man, what comes next? Or, you know, stay tuned. But to your point saying, you, you got to have an end in mind. You have to have a, a, a goal, a path, a, a you know, you, at least something that you're aiming for. And I think oftentimes a lot of us, especially if you focus on the black community, um, not necessarily operate aimlessly, but we um, we're oftentimes uh, allowing ourselves to be dictated by our situation and not necessarily um, saying, hey, this is the, the path I have in mind and I'm going to achieve or try to achieve, um, not necessarily by, by any means necessary, Black Panther style, but uh, ultimately saying, hey, I'm going to be an active participant in trying to make something happen here and not just allowing for myself to be a victim of, of what's happening in and around me. And I think it's um, it, it's interesting because one of the things I've spoken about often in my um, uh, upbringing and or uh, maturity as an adult was my time at Morehouse and as being there, how um, so many people there, so many black men uh, and the professors and the faculty like compelled us to, to do more don't be average. Right. Uh, now some of that was kind of joking to talk about what was happening at Clark or Morris Brown, but that's, you know, that's back in the arrogant days, but ultimately, you know, you, you are called to do something special and you being here is a way to be incubated into achieving that, that, that goal, right. Achieving what is expected of you, right. They used to say that mother Morehouse held a crown over our heads that we, uh, that we strive to grow tall enough to, to wear. And I think that that has left a lasting impression on, on my mind of saying the expectation is there. What are you going to do with that expectation? So yeah, to add to that, uh, other quotes that you hear more is uh, low aim, not failure sin by Dr. Benjamin Elijah Mays. And, um, I think about that even, even going back to the movie aspect is like, you should think about your movie as a blockbuster. And then 
you should dream. Like I think I think you know, one time I was talking to a kid and kid was an honor roll student. He was in eighth grade and I was like, Oh yeah, I heard you got really good grades. What do you want to be when you grow up? And he was like, I wanna be an Uber driver like my mom and and I was like and then I stopped and, and and you know, I'm not trying to judge your dream, right? But you need you gotta think at eight by eight, in eighth grade you should think in my mind you should think bigger. If you actually become an Uber driver by all means, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? But I thought at that age, I was just like kind of shocked that he didn't have like, by in middle school, I was thinking of doing crazy stuff. You know, like I want to walk on the moon. I want to do that because you just want to dream big. And they always say, you know, if you shoot for the, if you shoot for the moon, you at least reach the stars, you know, and I think that's some things too. I think a lot of reasons why people tend to be supporting actors in their own life is um, for two reasons. I think, well, yeah, I think two reasons is that one is that um, I don't think people see themselves internally, mentally as like like uh, a blockbuster actor, right? Like they don't see themselves as being someone who can take control, who can draw the who has the gravitas to like to 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 be in that moment, to 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 lead in many ways. And sometimes people don't um, they shy away from their own talent, they shy away from their own. Um, um, confidence, not arrogance. We talked about arrogance early, but like not not like that aspect, but like the confidence. Just like I know what I'm good at. It's time for me to make these things happen. Um, and I don't think people everything that they think they are. It's like imposter syndrome. Um, and so I think that, that more times than not, a lot of people want to step back and say, "Hey, you know, um, let me let me let me play the background in this a little bit." I mean, I. I so I suffer from that as well. You know, sometimes I uh, people tell me to do all types of stuff, even just even doing a podcast. You know, people are like you should do one, uh, and then finally I, I did one um, with one of my friends, um, and I was a guest, and I was like, oh, it's not that difficult. And even today, I wrote, you know, something about John Thompson. I got a text message from one of my friends uh, from junior high school. It was like, you know, who I'm, I'm you know, I, I keep the contact, constant contact with, but they were like, you know, you need to monetize it. I'm like, oh. And so sometimes I have to think about that myself, like the difference between being arrogant and being confident in your own abilities. And arrogance is my pet peeve. So I, I don't ever want to be seen as somebody who thinks he's too too good for anybody, anything like that. But you also have to say, like, I have sheer uh, confidence and I'm convinced in my own abilities. Um, I think, I think secondly, even if they are comfortable and confident in their own abilities, you deal with, uh, speaking of supporting cash, you're dealing with everybody else's insecurities and fears. You know, I want to do this. I don't know if you can do that. Why can't I? Because never seen somebody do that before. Or I tried something similar. I don't think that you're more talented than I am. So I don't think you'll succeed in trying to do something similar to what I'm doing, which is subtly something that happens, you know, when you talk to people and, and they give you certain advice and, and responses to some things you, 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 you're trying to do. A lot of times, a lot of advice is like, uh, I mean, it's cool and all, but if you succeed at something I wanted to succeed at, then I feel even more like a failure as opposed to, you know, you just, it's your time to shine. And um, one of my favorite quotes from social media, actually dealing in this topic, dealing even with film, is never compare your behind the scenes footage to someone else's highlight tape. 
and the, and the reason is, especially in the world of social media, all you're seeing is someone's highlight tape, someone highlight reel. You don't know their behind the scenes. You know yours. So you're comparing the people's highs to your lows. You don't know what their lows are. You don't even know what their average day is like. And your timeline isn't the same. Someone got married and when they were 23, you're upset because you're 35 and unmarried. You don't, the timeline is different. There's probably things you will accomplish, they haven't accomplished. It's, it's, it's all types of things. I mean, I see all types of uh, graphics, infographics about, you know, like J.K. Rowling wrote, her, her, wrote Harry Potter when she was, I think, in her 40s. You know, and it's one of the most, you know, highest selling books of all time. Um, you got, um, you know, all types of people. Uh, Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders created Kentucky Fried Chicken like in the last 10 years of his life. And he was like 65. Yeah, he was really he was much older when he created it. Um, there's all types of stories like that. Like, you don't know when you're going to get your time. And even when you think about someone like Chadwick Bozeman, who really, if you really put it in context, Chadwick Bozeman's first feature film was in 2012. So you've just been right? wor- working hard for eight years. For eight years. Well, well, for well which, yeah, well, we don't know what he did to get the right. I mean, his, his grind right, 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 got right, him well, there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I'm talking about from a, from a perspective of how we know Chadwick Boseman began. Jackie Robinson was his first feature film. Wow. Very first one. He wasn't a supporting actor or nothing else before that made it to the big screen. Jackie Robinson, 42, was the first one. And then he goes from 42... He goes and plays James Brown, ends up playing Thurgood Marshall, ends up being Black Panther. Obviously, half of his career in the public eye as a feature actor was when he, was he had cancer. Like, really think about that in the context of what I just said. Like, you're talking about seeing someone's highlight reels. Would you rather, mm. would you rather be really successful and, and, and you are dealing with stage three to stage four colon cancer? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like you never know what someone's dealing with. So, like, don't worry about what you think the external things that people accomplish. Just think about how you can best accomplish what you want to do and compare it to, like, are you better today than you were yesterday? And are you prepared to be better tomorrow than you are today? Other than that, what, other, what someone else does, what someone else has, shouldn't necessarily dictate the confidence you it should dictate. It might. It might make things more urgent for you. But other than that, it shouldn't necessarily be like, man, this person's winning. That means I'm losing. So, 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 nah. So, so, how, how, how do you help people, or how have you, in your own way, have navigated that, um, that very tricky space? Right now, you know, we, we, we've been in, in blessed situations, been in you know, a very diverse city where you see so much of the, um, of the spectrum of being able to be very, very successful, be it on the political scene, on a financial scene, on an art scene, because of how compact and, and, um, and culturally diverse DC is going down to Morehouse, um, you know, seeing all these different, uh, uh, black men, black women, who are doing things, uh, but then, you know, how do you help to translate that to those, like you said, the eighth grader who's like, you know, I, all I see or, or all I see that's in my realm of opportunity is being an Uber driver or, I mean, let me, I, 
it might, might, might make some people upset about this, but I remember growing up in D.C. and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to work for the government. Right. Because that's what you do. Right. <laughs> Everybody right, just goes right. and works for the government. And that's your, you know, you, you've done what you need to do, making up, you know, climbing up the GS uh, scale. Like so, you know, in your mind, uh, for people who, who don't get to step out and see more, um, uh, but are looking at, at, at Chadwick Ballsman, looking at John Thompson, looking at others, it's like, man, that, that's pretty good. Um, and you talked about, you know, not comparing the highlight reels, not, um, not, not sitting there and, and trying to, you know, figure out uh, or just look at somebody else and think that they're dope and think that you can't make it. You know, how do you change that? that thought process in your mind to be able to say, you know what, you know, forget all of that. I am going to achieve, I'm going to do more. I'm working to be better, do better versus, um, feeling inadequate, um, and, and really overcoming struggle, right. Overcoming disappointment because it's, I mean, it, it's not, you just, you just don't wake up in the morning and now you're Kobe, right. I mean, if you talk about right. people that have passed away this year alone, and the impact of those those folks, but you know, what have you counseled folks? Because I know that you mentor a lot of people. Um, you do a lot as far as from a Greek perspective. You know, what what do you say? How do you encourage them to think think more? Um, you you, you take so first. I try to I listen to what people where people are, and take take some of the things that they say that they're interested in doing. Some of the qualities that I see that they have be it like their professional path or just personality qualities. And I try to challenge them to think a little bit broader, think a little bit bigger, um, but only nudging them in a direction they seem to already want to go. Um, that's good. That's one. Um, Cause you can't put your dreams on somebody else. And I think I, I learned that from like my sister's 20 years old and, you know, I've had a very direct hand in like helping to raise her, and so I I use her, my relationship with her as a litmus test for mm-hmm. you know most relationships. And so I think about like even the last conversation I had with my sister, where um, we're talking, and I'm like, okay, that's cool. Now she was telling me about a job opportunity. Actually, I'll say I'll say it on on uh, on here because it's not speak, but. Somebody, one of her friends reached out to her and was like, you know, this is a good, I think it might be a good opportunity. Her family's involved. And I was like, okay, what is it? And she was like, it's legal shield. Mm. And I was like, oh, prepaid legal, pretty much, right? And yeah. so I was explaining to her, like, what I know about prepaid legal. But I said, look, and I said this verbatim, I said, look, I just want to give you, I'm your brother, I'm going to give you my thoughts on things. You take it and you go with it, make decisions you want to make. Um... But because I always say that and I always, I never try to force her to do anything, she tends to take my advice like and listen and really listen because I really listen to her. So I think with people, one thing is you have to listen to um, to soak in information versus respond. People listen to respond more times than not. Yeah. They're literally not listening to what you're saying. They're listening solely to have a response to what you're saying. You have to take the response out until it gets prompted. Like, just listen. And then, and then when it's time to respond, you have regard, you have, you have, uh, gathered all the information someone's told you. And then you, you know, you can have a full out conversation, you know, um, 
And I think that's one of the biggest things is, is, is taking people where they are and trying to guide them a little bit further. You're interested in this? Okay, cool. Um, let's, 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 let's take this the next step. You know, um, my sister tells me she wants to do something. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. Now, what's like the more concentrated version of this? Mm. Uh, you want to do this? All right, cool. How about we uh, let's take it one step further? You know, when she if she has, you know, when she's in school, you know, if she had a three point. I was, oh, that's what's up. Okay, so can we get a three two next time? Right. I would just just I think you get a three two. Can you get a three four next time? Right, I got you know, and then get her up, and it's like, okay, you got a four point on, and let's keep a four point Like you just keep nudging them further, but you're happy where they are. You just have to you have to challenge them to do a little bit better, but actually be happy where they are, because everybody's path is not necessarily what you have for them. It's but you got to be a good person to kind of nudge them along. So I would say those two things: listening and then like nudging, kind of advancing, um, just because this is what they've shown you that they're interested in. That's good. So you know, one of the things that you had said toward, towards the latter part of that was, um, you know, celebrating where they are, you know, and one of the things that I've, um, in, in my, my call it later years, right. In my thirties, uh, that I've started to being able to be mature about is celebrating the wins. Right. And not in a, mm-hmm. um, not in an arrogant way, or like you said, this social media, let me, you know, I, I got a win. Let me put it on, on, on the gram or something like that, but ultimately like truly taking a step back and saying, look at the milestone that you've achieved, right? If it's something big, like buying a house or something small, like, Hey, I completed a great presentation and it was received well by, by leaders. Right. Um, and, and I think oftentimes you, you, you hit, you hit on this is that we collectively in our society are always just looking for the big win, Right. That mm-hmm. uh, that Damian Lillard, uh, uh, Lillard uh, um, you know, three point shot at the end of the game, right? Uh, game winning shot uh, that that goes down in infamy versus just saying, "Look, you you've you've done well. You've accomplished this goal. Now let's celebrate. Realize what we've done, uh, and then be able to build upon there." Versus, you know, not congratulating, not patting somebody on the back for the small small wins. I have a young son. He's six. And that that has, you know, really been one of the things that has changed my perspective on these, because being able to sit back and celebrate his uh, his accomplishments. Right. And and being able to temper my expectations of him with what he can Mm -hmm. actually do and being and helping him to celebrate the wins that he's accomplished as well. Um, be it from, you know, the smallest things of, Hey, your, your baby can, can crawl, can walk, can talk. Um, but I mean, we we're playing monopoly. We're, we're on a perpetual game of monopoly and he has more money in the bank than I do. Now I could be a jerk and be like, well, but I have more property and you know, the, the name of the game is monopoly to do and to take over more pieces, but really like, Hey, you've done well, you own half the board and you still have more money in the bank than I do great job right and then be able to help him to 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 create excitement for the journey ahead because you you can do one of two things you can celebrate and mm-hmm. uh and and they you know in in this case my my son or in your case your sister or whomever else is listening to whoever you're you're connecting with 
you, you can celebrate and they will, you know, have a, a higher joy or um, a larger a passion for pursuing it. Or you can belittle and criticize and essentially either that game gets thrown away, those dreams get crushed or, you know, you're in a situation where you're like, man, that kid has so much promise. What happened? Well, it's because you had a dream crusher in the room, right? Somebody yeah. that did not celebrate that along the way. And um, I think that's that's a really, really, really good point there. Yeah, I think um, I was reading, um, I haven't finished it yet, but um, uh, what is it? The, the Habits of, of um, Highly Effective People. What is it? Hold on. It's the seven. There you go. The seven habits of highly effective people. Mm-hmm. And in it, it talks about something similar to what you said. He was talking about how the author was talking about how he and his wife they have a, their youngest son played baseball, and he wasn't really good at the time. He was young. He wasn't really good at it. Um, and they became you know hyper protective, overly. Like, oh, so champ, you get it like overly, um, almost pandering to make sure that, you know, he, he, to build up the confidence to make him, you know, better at it. And, um, they thought he'd be better at it. <clears throat> and what they realized was that they were comparing him to like what they thought was good at baseball mm. and that they were putting their own, uh, stuff on it. They were putting their own expectations on him. And they were kind of like making him feel by overcompensating that he wasn't good and he almost didn't want to play anymore. And what they realized was like he has to also the fact that they internalized that him not being good at baseball in their mind had an effect on how on them, mm-hmm. the way they view them, mm-hmm. the way no, but that how the way they viewed themselves mm. through what they considered to be his failures. So it was an outward projection of, oh, if my son is not good at this, then then I'm not good at this, or or I'm not producing someone as good at this. And 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 after a while, they just started treating him normal, and he ended up getting better on his own. But they weren't like shameful they, they they weren't they didn't feel any any shame or overcompensate for the internal shame they might have they just said all right we'll go out there and do your thing and, it, and he was like that's the confidence that they, that their son needed was that hey you know you go out and you be the best that you can be i'm not adding i'm not even quasi trying to fake add my own expectations um but that your child's successes and failures are theirs like you have an input, but they are not a direct, as direct of a reflection as we think. More so from your ego. Mm. You know, I learned that. Um, like I said, my sister, right? Like she, she, um, she was, she was at community college at first, and then she took some time off, and she did well when she was there. Um, but she wanted to work and earn some more money. Uh, so she can kind of jump out and be on her own and she wanted that independence and at first I was like man my sister you know dropped out of college and in my mind at first I'm thinking how did my sister drop out of school mm. I'm thinking about me having two degrees my dad having two degrees like what what kind of what, what what is missing that you know my that that 
someone associated with me would not value education. And after a while, we finally talked about it. It wasn't about the value of education. It wasn't that she had failed. She just made a shift. Mm. And that that shift that she made had nothing to do with how I raised her. She was raised, you know, it wasn't an extension of me. Like her failures and her successes are my failures and my successes, but not from an ego perspective. It's, It's from a symbiotic perspective. That's good. We're connected. So, you know, if she does well, I do well. If I do well, she does well. If she's not doing well, even on the flip side, if I am doing a little bit well, then she's not as bad off as she thinks she is. Mm. You know, and that's and it's and it's, it's it's not, but it's not like if my sister's out here, you know, bad down bad, that it's a reflection necessarily of like me not raising her right or me not doing it. It's her path, and as long as you respect the person's path, then then that's that's all that matters. Like that's the most important thing, and. I had to learn that in that conversation. Remember, we had the first conversation about it, her decisions. I was like, that's brilliant. Even her going to community college to start off, like, you're saving more money than I did. (laughs) She makes a lot more smart, you know, a lot of decisions that I would not have necessarily made. My sister has had and been more confident in making decisions that I wouldn't have made at the same age. And they've been great decisions, you know. Um, And she adds to the diversity of thought for me, you know, certain things that I, you know, uh, want to do or think I should be doing this time. I've had to step back and just say, look, I just enjoy her. So whatever she wants to do, whatever she doesn't want to do, I just enjoy the ride. I'm just a, you know, I'm not a director. Yep. I might be an advisor in, in the movie, right, in her film, but I'm not the director. She is. So and um, kind of make her be, you know, be that good. So, so I have a question kind of a, a as a piece of that, right? Um, we, we, we spoke about creating a legacy, right, uh, in a life worth living that people uh, after you, be it your, your offspring, be it your siblings, be it whomever you have impacted, uh, benefits from the legacy that you've left behind. Um, and you, you spoke about a lot of, you know, be it in the book, be it in your life experiences, et cetera, of how, you know, we, we have defined legacy living or, or leaving a legacy by, um, by a trail of success, right? That, oh, mm-hmm. um, you know, look, and, and I see this in, in what I call the, um, the baby boomers now, right? Who are taking the time to step back and look at the children that they produced. And I see oftentimes mm-hmm. that it's this celebration of, you know, not necessarily one upping each other, but look what my child is doing. Look what my child is doing. Look what my child is doing. Right. And in, in in some cases, that that's not the legacy that you really want to leave behind. Of just, hey, look at a uh, a newsletter of accomplishments for my kid. And essentially, the the old school version of a of a timeline, right? But it's more about the internal lessons. It's more about the foundation, the morals, the um essentially the 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 way that a person is living their life not necessarily the outcome uh, or the product but if a person is living uh, a life that they have created that they are um, proud of that they are uh, in control of are narrating and defining success for themselves that's a legacy you want to leave right that legacy of self-determination that legacy of 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 uh, overcoming of being um in charge of your destiny, 
versus being a victim of it. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like, I, I, like I, I'll ask you a question, right? Like, so do you know, and just follow me along, do you know who the 13th president of the United States is? So, so here, so the reason I say that is, all the times we think about these public positions that everybody, you know, aspires to have, but more times than not, like you don't remember some of that stuff, but you do remember the people that have a direct impact in your life. That's good. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't tell you, you know, you know, like I said, the, the 12th president, 13th president of the United States, off the top of my head, but I can tell you who my favorite teacher was when I was 13. That's good. You know what I'm saying? The, those people matter. And I think oftentimes when it comes to like being fame and leaving legacy, like legacy isn't necessarily something that that everybody has to see. It's the people that matter. You know, the, the difference I always say is like the difference between being popular and being well known. <laughs> when 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 John Lewis passed away, thank God, Lee, man, so many people passed away this time. But it's when John Lewis passed away, um, I realized that John Lewis is probably the most well known member of the civil rights movement. He's not the most famous, Dr. King is. Mm. But John Lewis has touched, physically given handshakes to, hugs to more people than probably any civil rights movement, uh, you know, big person during the civil rights movement. And he was tangible. Yeah. You know, when, when he passed, I mean, my Instagram was not just flooded of pictures of John Lewis by himself. It was my friends yeah. next to him. He got to feel all of that. He'll never, and, and even as in his past, he'll never have the brand that Dr. King has, but he has touched, physically touched, and seen the 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 impact of his work more than Dr. King did, because he lived longer and he ended up being a member of Congress and 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 ended up serving a political uh you know political position and. That was something I had to think about. And, and I think that, especially in the world now with social media, people want to be popular. But being well-known means you know more of the people that know you. Ooh. Right? Like, you think about it. Like, there are people we know in college that people are like, oh, yeah, I went to school with that person. But you may not be able to say that you know them. Mm. But there's other people that you know that also knew a lot of people. Hey, you hey, know what I'm saying? Let me pause you there. Let me pause you there. That is, yo, like, I'm just like literally thinking about like on Instagram, right? You have followers and people that you are following. And that's a perfect mm-hmm. example of, hey, you could be a popular person and have a million followers, but you're only following two people. Like, wh- right. what are you really doing? Right. Who are you really touching? Right. Who, who are you really influencing? If you're not even if it, to your earlier point, it's not a symbiotic relationship to where somebody you are giving right. and someone's receiving and they are giving and you are receiving touching people, being in community, being in relationship with people makes you a better person versus just you theoretically influencing and, and pushing out. And I don't want I wanted to make a quick editorial note that I didn't want anybody to think that we were, you know, taking a shot against King since, you know, you're saying he's more famous versus well-known. Right, right, right. But, not at all. Yeah, not at all. But it's, it is, as, as we're talking about legacy and how we live our lives, that 
It is. It's about those people that you touch, that sphere of influence about those that are around you, because that's what makes that's what makes a difference. You know what I mean? And um, sure. and, and that people remember you by. Uh, so that was good. Right. And I think, like I said, Dr. King, you know, is, is Dr. King for a reason. You know what I'm saying? He, he inspired millions, even billions of people. Um, I wasn't saying that at all. I was just saying the difference between being being popular and well-known. And, and, and Dr. King's reach was so broad that he couldn't actually touch everybody that was impacted by him. Right. But I think John Lewis, at least that sphere of influence, he was he was better at being able to reach the people that, that were influenced, directly influenced by him in ways that his legacy is as much about about the work he did as much as it is the tangibility of him being able to actually physically be around to to see the work. And that's a big part of his life. That's a big part of the response after he passed. So was that aspect of it. So, I mean, let, let's take this full circle to uh, to Coach Thompson, right? Uh, you had a really touching post uh, earlier today on social, and when folks hear this, it'll probably be a couple of days after, but um, you, you had talked about your experience actually meeting him um, at the ball game and kind of how that impression left upon you on top of obviously the historical narrative of growing up in D.C., being a Hoyas fan, all that type of stuff. Um, kind of explain or, or tell us about that experience of actually meeting him, spending that time with him at the ball game, and then kind of, uh, you know, how, how how that also touches you and, and makes you think a little bit more about kind of legacy living, but also what, what he stood for in the same way of, like, you know, all of our other greats that have, have passed this year. Yeah, um, so I used to help um, organize the Capitol Classic, the high school basketball all-star game um, here in D.C. And um, I hadn't worked on it in a couple of years, but I'm still really close with the organizers, with the, with the owner. And so I was just coming and checking the game out, just like, oh, I'll stop by. And I'm sitting on the edge of the bleachers. And um, a woman walks up to me and she's like, is anybody sitting next to you? And I was like, no, no, um, this is safe. This You know, it's fine. And then she goes back out and she comes back in hand in hand and come to find out it was John Thompson's daughter. Mm. And he just walks and sits next to me. And I had no idea I was leaving this spot open for him. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there and he's just like, you know, um, and we're just talking. I'm not trying to ask him every question that I want to ask him my whole <laughs> life. Right. So I'm trying to like, you know, what's it like coach AI or, or, you know, Man, Villanova beat y'all, man. What about Fred Brown throwing the ball to James Worthy in the 83, <laughs> you know, 82? Uh, you know, trying to, trying to think about all this stuff, you know, but we just started just talking and it was like, you know, and it was just like talking to, you know, um, any other um, older gentleman, older black gentleman. I was like, you know, would you like some water? I'm about to go to the concession stand. Would you like some popcorn? You know, uh, he was like, nah, he just tapped me on the knee. He was like, nah, I'm fine. We were just talking and, and, you know, he's 6'10". Yeah. So it's just interesting because I've never met somebody that tall at that age. Yeah. You know, like, so it's weird. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, this guy, his knees are like higher than mine, sitting down. And, <laughs> and that picture was interesting. It's like, I went, so on the post that I have for people that may not have seen it, I post a picture of me and, and Coach Thompson. And then I post 
a Facebook post that I posted from that night. Mm-hmm. I didn't know someone took a photo of me till days later. It was just a photo, photos of the game. And then they took a photo of me. Um, I know the photographer right. didn't ask for the photo. And then once I saw it, I was like, oh, this is perfect. It's funny. I have a Morehouse hat on and, um, and I'm sitting there just talking to him and it's like, you know, I want to give him the timeline of like my life, you know, I'm at a game, but I am a diehard fan of sports, but my love of sports, you know, the impetus is the genesis of it is Georgetown basketball team. Yeah. And it, it caused me to go down a road of like, like I became a, a, a rabid fan of sports. Um, I, and I ended up getting my master's degree in sports industry management from Georgetown. And so, like, I, and I aspired to go to Georgetown as an institution because I knew about it since birth because of the basketball team. So, like, it influenced me in both directions. You know, I've always been like, you know, being a kid from D.C., Georgetown, after, after watching and playing a basketball, you know, basketball team, it's like, man, Every kid that wants to play, that plays basketball is like, man, I want to go to Georgetown. Like, yep. I want to play for Georgetown, you know. But then when you get old enough to realize Georgetown is, you know, one of the best schools in the country academically, it's like, okay, well, my hoop dreams are gone, but, you know, maybe maybe I want to, you know, go to Georgetown. Like, what that means, I'm a kid from Southeast D.C., you know what I'm saying? Going mm-hmm. to Georgetown University, you know, means, a, like, a lot. Like, wow, and nobody in my family has gone to Georgetown, at least anybody that I can – think of and, and so all that kind of was sparked by Georgetown's basketball team in many ways and um and, it, and it's funny because you know I've always wanted to say you know reconnect with them and just say you know I sat next to the capital class I just want to reintroduce myself and, and just have a real conversation with them um and unfortunately I haven't had that chance but uh, you know he's a legend man and, and part of I've, you know, I'm, I'm, I have my blinders on, um, being, you know, a DC native, but I knew growing up in the nineties that Georgetown had a bigger impact than just DC. Right. And, um, cause in, in the nineties, there were three teams that people were big fans of. It was UNLV running rebels with, um, with Stacey Alvin and Larry Johnson. Um, they won back to back championships and then it was the fab five. Yep. But throughout that time, before, during, and after that, was Georgetown. Georgetown was a black was Black America's college basketball team. That's good. And you see it in music music videos in the nineties, but everybody had Georgetown stuff on their music videos. Back when I used to just wear the college hoodies and hats, <laughs> you know, it wasn't the Gucci and stuff. You know, everybody had Georgetown stuff. Shoot, and um, and above the rim, he went to Georgetown. Yep. You know, I mean, and he got game. He was one of the one of the, one of the schools that they had John Thompson. You know, interviews talking about Jesus Shuttles where you couldn't talk about basketball as a black person and John Thompson our next conversation. He is the biggest black basketball coach in NCAA history. You know, and but he's from DC, coached the DC team. And the best part that a lot of people don't realize, John Thompson got the job at Georgetown as as a high school coach. Really? He coached St. Anthony's High School that's on twelfth and Monroe. It's now just the elementary school, but he coached St. Anthony, and he was so good as a high school coach that they took a job, uh, uh, you know, they took a um, a chance on him because 
John Thompson played in Providence, played in the NBA. He was he was a career backup for Bill Russell mm. with the Celtics. So, um, but he went, came back home, and coached St. Anthony, and 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 Georgetown was you know Georgetown was like D three, the equivalent of like a D three D three D two school. So John Thompson gets there. He has a relationship with St. Anthony's, which was a predominantly black school. He has some of the players. They started working their way up, and and then he was one of the forefronts of, of the Big East conference. So if you really know the history, this is just a completely sports conversation, but like if you know the history of the Big East, the Big East was a conference that was created by small private institutions, mainly Catholics, that didn't have the big football programs and none of that, but they had the bat they had basketball programs and it was a way for them to to build out their basketball. Uh, and they all came together because they were all kind of independent or like not in these big conferences, and they come together. It was like a Northeastern conference. Yeah. Um, and then ESPN was being created around the same time, and ESPN needed content. So, you know, UConn was an early, if not the, one of the founding members of Big East. So they, so Big East and ESPN grew together. So once once people started getting more ESPN in their cable, the Big East was the main conference they saw. So you had someone who had, and he was early, early adopter with Nike. When Nike started uh, sponsoring teams, that's, and um, that's crazy. Like and, the stuff you just dropping, right? The the I don't want to call it the um, uh, like the show notes, right? But because you, yeah. you, you, you talk about all of the 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 big stuff, right? The people he's coached and things like that. But all of these incremental changes and stuff yeah. that he was on the forefront of that essentially impact the way that we enjoy, uh, watch, indulge, consume college basketball today, he was in the middle of all of it. Me me, me add to it. So 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 even with that, right, like, like I said with ESPN, they had a twenty they, they created a twenty four hour sports network, but didn't have a lot of content. So, you know, like I said, they 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 were looking for content. Anybody come because they had this twenty four hour space. So Big East was the first the first conference to sign on and um and so the Big East got put on a national platform because they pretty much bought low with ESPN. <laughs> and, and and ESPN bought low in the Big East. It right. was a it was a mutual exchange, right? But then around this time just in sports marketing, a guy named Sonny Vaccaro, who is known for a lot of things in basketball, but he signed Jordan and Nike and um it's like when you know one thing that like in culture, like people would know, right? But so anyway, before he signed Jordan and Nike, he convinced Nike that in order for if you really want to get to the heart of people, because back in those days, Converse was the number one sneaker. You want to get to the hearts of people, you need to start paying college coaches wow. to wear your stuff and having their teams outfitted for your shoes. So Georgetown, the original Nike schools. Wow. To the point where John Thompson's been on the board of Nike for years. Like years. Amazing. And um and 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 yeah, so matter of fact, Jordan's agent is John Thompson's agent, David Falk. That's why, you know, most of AI most of Georgetown's players have signed with David Falk, like Patrick Ewan and Lonzo, AI, they all kind of signed with David Falk. But he was like married with Nike. You know what I'm saying, and and as another one by by um, by low, you know he was with Nike from day one, and and he was like the biggest black coach for Nike. And as Nike built up, 
Jordan built up. I mean, there's a reason why Nike, think about this in, 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 from a culture perspective. That's the reason why Georgetown had, in my opinion, the greatest uniforms in, in college basketball history with the kente cloth on the side mm-hmm. of their uniforms because you couldn't get John Thompson some, some average uniforms. He was too <laughs> ingrained. He was No, he wasn't. He was too in, ingrained in Nike. You know, he Georgetown, Georgetown's one of the first schools to switch to Jordan. They still wear Jordan uniforms. They had Jordan uniforms before, like, most people did. You know, so he had all that. He was in the forefront of all of that. And, um, you know, it's also understanding his, his space as a black as a black coach. And he didn't take any nonsense, you know. And, um, you know, he just, he just epitomized D.C., epitomized, like, black basketball, you know. Um, and he changed the way we thought about Georgetown. I thought Georgetown was an HBCU hey, growing up. Dude. <laughs> real talk. And I live like, here. You know yeah, what I'm Real talk. I mean, it was kind of like, now my parents went to an HBCU, but to your, to your same point, like growing up in the area, you're like, oh, I mean, you go to Maryland, you go to Georgetown. If you really want to be black, you go to Eastern Shore, like <laughs> me, uh-huh. Morgan State. Um, but yeah. you, you start, you start, you know, uh, venturing out and becoming a little bit larger. And I got one one thing to to, to say uh, that you had posted. I thought was really good. But then I want to ask you about your love for Georgetown and how you ended up at Morehouse. But the first thing that I mm-hmm. thought that was um, not first thing, but one of the things I thought that was great that you had mentioned was that um, uh, uh, you put John Thompson on the proverbial DC Mount Rushmore, right? Of Mary mm-hmm. Berry, Chuck Brown, but you have made the point that, you know, he's the only one that's from there, right? That he's, he right. Has, he's the native. And I think that's, that's very interesting, right? To have somebody, cause you have so many people that'll come make a name, you know, become an adopted son or daughter of a city, but somebody that uh, is from a place coming back to a place, giving back to it, making sure that it, it, it achieves and, and, and continue to be a, a stalwart in the community is, is big. Um, especially today with, with everything being so hyper uh, mobile that folks can go anywhere they want to yeah. go and do all these types of things. But being, you know, a, uh, uh, being a, a part, a pillar of the community is is so smart and, and so meaningful because of the Im- impact that it has on on people that you may not know, right? Um, and I mean, mm-hmm. prime example, uh, the, the impact that he had on you and essentially your trajectory in life. So, but I have to ask this, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how did you end up at Morehouse then? Well, so me loving Georgetown basketball was mainly because of basketball at first, right? So I knew, I knew like by the time I got to high school that basketball was like a hobby of mine, something I loved to play, but I was more interested in like the game itself overall. And I picked up on writing pretty early and knew that that was like what I kind of wanted to do and be around the game. And, um, and so when that came about, it was like attending college was like playing for like playing basketball in college, Georgetown was my number one goal. I had no idea about it as a school. Mm. So that was a dream of like stepping in a, a Capitol Center or USA Arena, yes. you know, you know. And and playing, stepping on the court there. Right, right. <laughs> stepping on the court there, you know, to play play for uh play for John Thompson. But when it came to like attending college, Morehouse was the only school I ever thought about. That's what's up. My uncle went to Morehouse. Um 
graduated. Interestingly enough, we talk about 1984. I graduated in uh, in 1984. Um, so I guess my love for both Morehouse and Georgetown started months before I was born. It's like right after, uh, you know, my family. My family fell in love with Morehouse. My uncle was the youngest, youngest child, youngest boy, and um, seeing his metamorphosis while he was at Morehouse. That's good. Uh, my grandmother was like, well, if I'd have known about this school before, I would have sent all my sons there. Mm. And 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 because he was the baby, you know, the family was checking on him in ways that they probably didn't do my dad, who's older, you know, and they just like really enveloped and were like, were enveloped by Morehouse. And um, there's a, my cousin, my cousin Gary is 10 months older than me. And there's a picture of he, he and, and my aunt Kathy and his mother up on um, the biggest picture in our living room, my grandmother's living room, is of them in matching Morehouse sweats. Wow. And they got that photo probably when Gary was probably about six, seven. So I was, a, you know, a year younger than that. But that's the picture I saw. So when I was reading those Georgetown books that I mentioned in my, in my, um, in my post, you know, the programs that my grandma would have, I was sitting on a couch that behind me was a picture of Morehouse. That's good. So I saw that all the time. And I mean, to the point where I only applied to Morehouse. My mother made me apply to another school. Um, but I was like, I want to go to Morehouse. And that was it. And I hadn't even visited. You know, I just knew what Morehouse stood for. I went to visit Morehouse my senior year. It was actually a horrible visit, but it didn't matter. It was like, this school is better than what I just experienced. <laughs> It was just the host was bad. They just kind of dropped us off at King Chapel and said, like, y'all walk around and you know, there was no, it wasn't a guided tour. And I was like, I don't care. I, you know, I, I, I'm coming regardless. And so that that's what got me to Morehouse. I mean, I, I had early exposure to it. I had early exposure to alumni. Um, it held the highest esteem for my family, you know. Um, yeah. And anytime I heard it mentioned, it was just like, oh, wow, Morehouse, you know. And, and, I, and I've, I've told people that, you know, with no hyperbole, like when you get accepted to Morehouse College and you tell people that, yeah, man, it's like people look at you, talk, oh, you're going to Morehouse? Yeah, it's like, man. it really has that impact. Like, you, you're, you know, you're 17, 18 years old. You're just like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to a good school. But then it hits you different when you when people are like, oh, you're a Morehouse man. And then obviously when you, your freshman year, you have to explain it like, no, I'm a man in the house. I graduated, <laughs> yet, right? but, but before that, going in, going in, right, you're like, you're a Morehouse, man. Like, mm-hmm. like, you go to Morehouse. And like, what did this school do to people? You know, like, what did what, what the men that accomplished this? Like, that association was just like, you want to you you feel, like, happy and, and accomplished, man. That that summer? Yeah. Like, man, I, you know. I, I had a similar experience because I had to apply for a couple of schools. And I was going to go to Columbia because I wanted mm-hmm. to go, um, you know, Pretty much everybody in high school, hey, we're going to try to go to Ivy League schools, and pretty much everybody got into the schools they wanted to, et cetera. But then I found out they had a dual degree program. And my parents went to HBCU, my sister went to an HBCU, and they were, you know, encouraging me to go. Um, and I had applied to A&T and FAM uh, because those are the ones I had been exposed to. And I knew about right, my house, right. but I didn't have the the exposure of 
the prestige and when it hit me the same way, like you said, you, you, you apply and you get accepted and the reception that you get from people, but like it, it smacked me in the face when they had a, um, uh, a cookout in, in the DC, Maryland area, um, where it was like for the acceptance uh, cookout, yeah, the acceptance the, cookout. Yeah. and I'm walking around there and like all of these powerful black men and folks just doing so much. You're like, Oh, this ain't a game. Like I'm, <laughs> we just this this is serious. Like you're about to walk into something that's that's meaningful, and like you said, you start understanding the um, the the life change that happens from there, and it's uh, it's an invaluable experience that that it's it's so much to talk about, but it's you can't describe it, right? It's uh, it's it's an experience from the moment you're on campus to NSO to everything else that happens there. Um, it's so much, so much in there. And, uh, I remember when, and, and then I'll, I'll let you go. Cause I know we've been going for a little while here, but, um, I remember when I, like I first truly got connected with you and it was actually nine 11. So, you know, we had, uh, you know, there was a, at Morehouse, you had the DC met group and you had all the people that were from DC, Maryland, Virginia. Um, and we had parties and we did all that stuff. And it was kind of like, all right, we, you know, we know everyone, but I remember that morning on September 11th, uh, I had left the dorm at Graves Hall and I was headed to class and uh, didn't have the TV on that morning or anything like that. I left the class and I saw you and a group of the D.C. folks standing around close to the to the bell. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, yo, what's what's going on? And then like that's when that's when it hit. And I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in everybody from from the area like, yo, this is serious. And um and I, I still remember that to this day of seeing the group of D.C. folks just together, just like, hey, something big is happening. And then not soon after that, they rang the bell, you know, for whom the bell tolls. And we all got together and and, um, you know, if you talk about a way to start off your freshman year of, uh, of college. Um, yeah, for, a- and for the people listening, the bell, you have a bell on campus that is never to be touched unless there's unless it's, it's, a, it's, it's danger. It's, it's yeah. like, uh, it's an alert, it's an alarm, pretty much. And um, we learned that during NSO, but never thought like a week, two weeks after that we'd actually ring the bell in the biggest terrorist attack in American history. And um, so for whom the bell told, like it's, it, you, you ring the bell when a Morehouse man is in danger. Yeah. And in this case, it's like the country. So, um, for those that are like listening and not, not understanding the context, like, yeah, we were standing by because by that. So for me on that day, it was because I had a class of, um, I had an eight o'clock class. Mm-hmm. So I was out by nine fifteen, And so because my class was early and a lot of people had nine twenty five class. Yep. The people that had nine twenty five classes me. would not have been watching the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You're not watching the news before you get to class. Like I wasn't watching the news before my eight o'clock, but but because I saw the news, yeah, everybody that was done at nine fifteen, we all knew about nine eleven. While everybody in nine twenty five class was completely oblivious, and this is before internet on your phone, right. really. So <laughs> even if even if you had just been checking your phone, there was nothing to check because we didn't even really have text messages back then. And then that was like, and my mom's my mom's, uh, you know, my dad's from DC, but my mom's from New York, mm. so my entire family, you know. I'm worried about my uncle's a firefighter in Queens. So I had a lot of things going on in my mind. Um, 
yeah, I mean, that's, that's like indicative of morals in the sense of like, you know, you, there are situations and times where you, you'll be down or, or something's going on and somebody that you don't necessarily know, but you had a morals connection will be there for you. Um, one of the greatest things that school offers. Amen. Um, yeah. Hey, I, I want to appreciate you for taking the time today to to chat and talk about legacy living. And I mean, perfect way to come full circle to talk about, you know, uh, what Morehouse means to us and and the connection and the legacy that that institution has. But um, thank you for taking the time and kind of talking about what, what Coach Thompson, what Chapman Bozeman, uh, John Lewis, all of these powerful um, black men have have meant to you and to me and to the to this community and and how 2020 has made us turn around and say hey you you have to live life with purpose have to live life with legacy in mind and um and do something about it don't be a a supporting actor in your own action flick and to your point you're not only the actor you're the director and you're the casting director so be be cognizant of who you're casting in this in this uh this movie that that you're a part of and 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 make it a a blockbuster. So hey, Look, even even that, and I and I add this one thing: even that, be a head coach in your own game of life. Like <laughs> talking about John Thompson, you know, being a head coach, you can't just be on the bench, just sitting around drinking water, or even being an assistant coach. You got to direct it. You got to you got to be 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 yeah. You got to be the head coach in your own life. That's also, good. So hey, man, I appreciate it for all those who have been listening to this joint podcast. Uh, appreciate you all. Please uh, subscribe. Um, I know a billion of y'all already subscribed to Scoops, but uh, show me <laughs> some love. Uh, all things fine and gentry. Sure. Um, but um, appreciate you all, and, and hope that this continues a conversation, not just something you listen to uh, on your way to work or something like that, but but continues a conversation in your life about the legacy that you are leaving and the legacy that you're living and, uh, and being more intentional about it. Scoop. Kyle, again, thanks for, for taking the time, man. <laughs> love it, man. Love it. Hey, man. I love it also, man. Always great talking to you, brother. Yes, sir.